This morning's Dharma talk is titled, The Cage of Your Afflictions. And this comes from a text by uh, the second century um, Indian sage, scholar, uh, Nagarjuna. They think that's when he was born. And it's, it's an attribution to him. They're not really positive it was him. And um, so I, I wanted to read a little bit about one of the verses. Uh, and you can, this is something you can find in a PDF on, uh, if you go in and uh, don't Google it, but use DuckDuckGo so nobody can trace you. Uh, find out that you're, you're studying. You know about DuckDuckGo, don't you? You should. Don't use Google. Just saying. <coughs> This is the, of the 101 verses of the, the uh, Dharmadhatu Stava, is the Sanskrit for in praise of Dharmadhatu. Enlightenment is neither near nor far. It does not go away nor come to you. Right there within the cage of your afflictions, either you see it or you will not. That's a powerful statement. You should all contemplate that. If you're in this room listening to me, Contemplate that. I'll read the other one a little later. Anyway, there's PDFs on there on several sites. Uh, you can use uh, uh, Ursul Schempen's. Uh, that site works. Uh, there's another one. Um, I don't know. But if you if you just say, in praise of Dharmadatu, you, it'll take you to one of the PDFs for that, and you can download it or whatever. Can you read that one more time, please? Yeah. Read it one more time? Certainly. I can just spend the whole hour reading it. Enlightenment, enlightenment is neither near nor far. It does not go away nor come to you. Right there within the cage of your afflictions. Either you see it or you will not. But I can tell you that you will not see it if you keep trying to get away from your afflictions. Enlightenment is not separate from the afflictions. When you you shut out enlightenment, when you push on any, when you push on your negative feelings, when you explain your negative feelings, when you ignore your negative feelings, don't do it. Have some guts. Have some courage. Sit down, hold still, look at the wall, face your mind, look at your mind as it arises, as me, 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 and my stuff, my ideas, my hopes, my fears, my, uh, all of that. Face it, look at it. Right within, within the negativity, within the difficulty. difficult to do and it takes uh, uh, for most people depending on how, how your particular afflictions are manifesting to you to some people it's manifesting as just depression or difficulty or not wanting to be here or wanting to end your life or to someone else it's manifesting as wanting to end someone else's life or to want to manipulate people or control people or be in charge or be respected like you hear people say 
don't don't disrespect me or something like that. It's like it's just a misunderstanding. And it's an intensely powerful and dangerous and painful misunderstanding. <clears throat> now, based on the assumption that there's someone here and there's someone over there. It's so simple that it is complicated. And it is profound in that it's beyond beyond what you can think about it, even though uh, teachers down through the centuries, and not only in this lineage, but in other lineages, have tried to approach this in different ways. That's, that's really all we're doing, trying to find a way to, what we're doing here, trying to find a way to work with this firsthand ourselves. not about believing in something, disbelieving in something. I'll read the other one. The other one is number 89. So as I said, there's 100, 101 of them. Different translations. This one happens to be translated by uh, Jim Scott and Ari Goldfield, who are the translators for Kempo Sotram Janso. At least Ari Goldfield is. And I think Jim Scott might have been for a while, too. So verse number 89 is, and I, I picked out a few of these. They're, they're all saying the same thing in different ways. Samsara's tends, samsara, of this wheel of life and death, the difficulty we were born uh, and, we're, and we go through any uh, different kind forms of travail or difficulty and we work with it the best we can. A lot of people are working with it based on a belief in there's a right and a wrong, there's a correct, there's a, that there's some kind of structure where they can get to the good part and avoid the other part. Basic, simple description of samsara, confusion, uh, insanity, if it's taken to extremes. Samsara, the wheel. Samsara's tendencies to grasp, reject, I'm adding this, to grasp or reject or fight with anything or disagree or shut down on, manipulate in any way, are ponderable. You can think about it. You notice that? You can think about this or that or how bad this feels or how good this feels or what this other person's doing. We can ponder that. Freedom from tendencies is not ponderable. You are completely inconceivable. Who could ever have the power to know you? Your actual identity is beyond Awareness. Realize that. Find out. Find out for yourself. Don't believe a word I say. Don't, be, don't, be, don't believe a word you say. Or think. And don't, of course, disbelieve it or shut down on it. Continue to look at the mind as it arises in the form of passion, aggression, ignorance, <clears throat> avarice, envy, all the other stair steps, all the other figurines on the merry-go-round. So if uh, you heard me say before, and others have said, if, if, you, if you are awakened, you won't know it. You might, you might realize that you're no longer fighting with anything. You're no longer disagreeing with anything nor agreeing. You no longer want anything. You no longer want to get rid of anything. 
You no longer are particularly critical of anything or anybody unless they come at you and ask you for help. And then you, without even thinking about it, you immediately go to where their issue is. And I'm not saying you're going to hit them, but you address that issue directly. If you can't do that, then uh, you're probably really teaching on a mundane level, which is not wrong. We need to hear about the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links, the Six Realms, the Three Realms, and all of the other phantasmagoria that arise as the, the Buddha Dharma. So you could all check out this text. There's just tons of things to read. So many things. But this is a, this is a good one. There's a book also published. Uh, and I think uh, it's uh, Carl Brunholzel that writes a commentary on that. Who, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's him. So you can get the book or just read the PDF. Uh, on uh, Shen Penarsal has a commentary on there. I think it's by uh, uh, Kempo Sochum Jamso. <clears throat> or you can do something else. So I'll read the first one again. Enlightenment is neither near nor far. It does not go away nor come to you. Right there, within the cage of your afflictions. What an amazing image. This was translated by uh, uh, Jim Scott and Ari Goldfield uh, out of the Tibetan, I, I think. And then I, I can't remember the the Tibetan's name that translated it out of the Sanskrit, which I think was originally written in. So it's been through a couple of uh, um, bridges and tunnels. But it, the, the, the feeling of it is uh, still there, and there is a feeling of it that's quite powerful. Enlightenment is neither near nor far, it does not go away nor come to you. Right there within the cage of your afflictions, either you will see it or you will not. But what is he saying? It's, it's right there. It's not separate from anything. You can actually take the, the most negative situation you're having and just look at it. We In the Zen tradition, we call it a Dharma gate. Trying to get away from those is what the rest of the people in the world are doing. What we're doing here is uh, endeavoring to see clearly what is fundamentally true. Fundamental truth. Might have to spend a lot of time looking at uh, relative truth. Until you get to the what's the fancy one? Anybody have that one? <laughs> Maybe. Paramartha Satya. It could be complete unexalted enlightenment. That last line of the first passage that he read is is enlightenment beside the point. Get out of here. Yeah. Yes and no. Either you'll see it or you won't. It isn't even a point. It's just amazing that that there are human beings that have actually, <coughs> instead of getting tied up in the in the endless travail, as a word I used earlier, which I think means is French for work, is that true? Or difficulty. So Mayun is not here, so I can't ask her. No one knows. Dr. Goet. Huh? Dr. Goet. Dr. Goet? <laughs> oh, I could do that. 
I understand what what you're saying about it being beside the point, but but it's but what you're saying is beside the point. The, the actual situation is you should actually just look at that, look at the relative part of it instead of trying to get to some kind of artificial absolute. Well, uh, beside the point. I didn't say you did that. I did that. Do you notice? Notice the difference? Want me to do it again? Uh, I did. How's that? What's the difference? What's the difference in what you said and what I just did? Is there a difference? It looks like you're over there saying you. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it's interesting to look around and see frowns on some people's faces and smiles on other ones. Everybody's smiling now. So. Everybody, finally, everybody didn't get it. <laughs> Your French student, Mayun, has. Oh, she's <laughs> is helping today. And she says, the first one, uh, for work, exclamation point. And then she has travail equals work. Okay, work. Thank you. Thank you. Mon noir, That's her name in French, which I memorized. And I'm trying to memorize this uh, in French, but it's really, it's really difficult. Enlightenment is neither near nor far. It does not go away nor come to you. Right there within the cage of your afflictions. Either you will see it or you will not. I've listened to a translation of that in French, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 times. I still can't say it. I can say a one line maybe, but I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> Murder it. <laughs> so it helps to, to actually go to another language. I think it helps. So when I was very young, I thought, what? We have, we have English. What's everybody studying French and Spanish for? This is in the 1950s. <laughs> I, now I realize how powerful it is to actually look at the way language is taking something that we call thought patterns, which are like language but not exactly, and, and translate, go in different directions. And we have several people here who are bilingual, multilingual, and uh, Joseph even teaches uh, Spanish. With that, you know, so. Very interesting area, the whole idea of language. The way it works, the way the just the difference between the Japanese, the way the Japanese say something, and the way the uh, the, the Chinese use very similar, uh, because the Ch Japanese borrowed the glyphs of the Chinese for their language uh, centuries ago. But it's very interesting the way different uh, uh, glyphs or um, uh, symbols are used for different ideas, thoughts, and so on. So either you will see it or you will not, but I can tell you that you probably, and even this is not exactly true, but you probably are not going to see it unless you look at, at the circularity that's going on, unless you look at the cage of afflictions instead of trying to get away from it by running or get, ri or get, ri or get, a, get rid of it by going to war or, by, or, or modify it or change it so it's more acceptable. Uh, like say, well, the reason I'm feeling this way is because uh, the way I was treated when I was a child. And I would like to say, and I've said this many times in many different ways, I'm not saying that that relatively isn't true. But if you get caught in that, you're, there is no way out. That becomes a squirrel cage. It just goes round and around. And it looks, the thing about a squirrel cage, the thing about uh, 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 railroad tracks, they, they think they come to, it looks like they come to a conclusion. They don't come to a conclusion. They're, they're circular, except for railroad tracks. They just never come together. 
and this and the circularity of that thinking process is uh, uh, entrains you, or maybe I should say hypnotizes you to think you're on the right track. You are not on the right track. Even this is not the right track. So what is this? This is looking at relative truth in such a way that you no longer add to it, no longer subtract from it, and you no longer cover it up so that you can see what it is fundamentally. You said that if you see it, um, you will help people by going right to their issue. Does that mean if you see the way in which you suffer yourself, you'll be able to see the way in which other people are suffering? Somewhat. There's some of that. And some people are suffering in ways that's more might be more more foreign or different from the way what you're dealing with. One person may have difficulty with anger or something. Another person may not have too much of that, but may have a lot of uh, passion, a lot of grasping and clinging, and a lot of fear happening there that might manifest as a lot of trying to get away from things rather than fight with them. So it could show up lots of different ways. More? Just the way that you said you'll go right to the issue made me think there was some well, you, I don't mean uh, you know might not be might not be that dramatic. It might be just uh, you you just you, you see what it is. So you know you they are not invite, inviting you to help them. This doesn't mean that a person hasn't said yes. Please help me, help me. I've had people come and say help me, and at the same time, they're everything. Everything is telling me stay away, don't say anything, and don't criticize me. I don't want to hear it. At the same time, they're there because they think they can fool me. You can't fool a fool. I am a fool. What do you mean when you say you can't fool? Like, what does that mean to fool somebody? You, you, you think you may think. I'm not talking about reading minds. I'm saying that that you can't you can't uh, manifest in such a way that that someone who is not separate from you and sees that can. Uh, you can hide out from them or be somebody else. I don't care how sophisticated, how intelligent, how, how conceptual, how many uh, uh, languages you're able to speak or anything else. Go ahead. How is that different from when you were talking yesterday that you you still can misread a situation? Yeah, that is, that's, that's not separate from it. Even the confusion is, you don't, no, there's no getting away from anything. You can't meditate away your ears. You can't meditate away your anger. You can't meditate away your confusion. So the confusion may be there. What happens uh, in that situation, there's no fixation on it. So it could show up. So anger could show up. And just There's, no, there's no, one, no, no one there to support that. Uh, if, if that were not the case, then you would be, uh, probably, probably would be dead. You'd go up in a flash of light. I'm not trying to be romantic. I'm just saying that there has to be some kind of interaction in a, in a, on the in the relative dynamic, or, or you or you couldn't even you can't you couldn't even I couldn't teach I couldn't talk about this. Go ahead. I was just wondering if you could say a little more about that contrast and what it what qualities um, misunderstanding a situation 
has that being fooled does not have, or, or the contrast between the two. I'll try. <clears throat> you asked me an easier question. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> well, I had a different question. No, I'll go. I'll go back and try, but it's it's, it's a difficult difficult area because they they don't uh, conceptually. I, I can't get those to click together properly. Uh, go ahead. Maybe could you give an example or how it might look where I'm I'm interacting with somebody and I might be quote fooled yeah. by the situation yeah. and how that differs for when you may interact with that same situation and may even have a similar yeah. interaction, but it's different. Well, I, I'm i going to go to the heart of the matter. Uh, I love everybody. So I, everybody gets the benefit of the doubt from me. So that I'm kind of surprised when I realize that I know they love me too. Everybody loves me too, of course. We all love each other fundamentally. But I'm some, sometimes surprised at how little they're aware of their own and how much they buy into fear about their feelings, rather than just be there. More? Does the being fooled have to do with a personal agenda? Probably. And I don't mean that somebody's hiding out or you know coming in and putting on. I mean, I don't say there's just a deliberate kind of acting out or something. It's saying that's necessarily happening but you can see it you have some experiences like this so we all do we all sit in front of somebody when you were eight years old remember when you're eight years old and there was maybe 10 adults in the room maybe it was at a thanksgiving or something like that and you you knew that some of the adults uh, were were able to relate to you as you were and some and the other adults looked at their idea of you they talked down to you Sometimes they would talk to that artificial language that adults sometimes do with children. Yes. Um, since yesterday, I've had a lot of questions come up around um, some of those topics, and I'm just reminded of what Chazon said. If we're fundamentally not separate, is permission a misunderstanding? So it can be. It's, it's important to bring as much awareness to each situation as you can so that there, as you go along, so there's less possibility that you're going to misinterpret a situation. So I'm not sure what, which one of the areas you're speaking about. That was our, our uh, Living Council training program we are talking about yesterday. Can you say, can you say something specific about it? It, just, it just seems like if I were to ask someone permission to do something, it's, it's still kind of loaded a little bit to where the no is more pressure for them to say than the yes. So even if I ask for permission, it's still not fair. Yeah. I understand. Yes, sir. Thoughts on um, keeping those who disrupt your peace uh, around? Give me a direct question. I don't do thoughts. Oh, okay. Should you keep people that disrupt your peace around? I don't think you should do anything, particularly. But if there, it depends. You know, there's so many dependent. I mean, is, is this a relative of yours? Is it your spouse? Is it your friend? In general, 
public people that disrupt your peace, yeah. your relationship with them. It might be good to take a look at uh, the disruption itself and see if the disruption is actually coming from others rather than something that others are triggering within you that you need to examine. Quite often, the difficulty we have is right here. Uh, the, what's happening out here is uh, just a trigger. I'm not saying somebody can't come up and hit you. Of course they can. But I'm saying quite often, uh, it's, that's why in the Buddhist uh, teachings they say, uh, be grateful to everyone. Everyone has been your mother. It's basically saying that we're so interconnected, very relative way of saying we're so interconnected that you can't really find a, an evil person because it's uh, because of dependent origination. So I would do it with your awareness rather than with some kind of a protocol to get rid of people or to change or to modify yourself. On the other hand, uh, people are getting your way and disrupting your peace as you meditate, then you probably should lash out, out at them. <laughs> <laughs> You could do it with, you don't have one of those, but you could do it with one of these. Sharpen a sharp point on it. <laughs> no, don't do that. But you could, you know, you could be, you could, you could, as they say, treat others as you would like to be treated. You could turn to them and say, you know, let's just calm down or, or let's, you know, I don't want to fight with you. You know, you could work and see if you can't communicate. Or you could even, if they're doing, if they're disrupting, you say, you could actually look at what they're saying and put what they're saying into words you think that they might agree with or understand. It looks to me like you're upset with me about this or something that I'm doing or saying. Is there some way we can work with this? And make it so it's workable for both of us? Kind of negotiating? Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree in a sense? Yeah, uh, I'd be real careful of any kind of platitudes about things because they tend to replace the actual awareness that needs to be present. And the awareness that needs to be present doesn't know what to do. What's the um, cage part um, of the topic, cage of your reflection? So the cage is your, your assumption, just a way of saying it, your assumption that if you have a negative feeling that you, you, know, that you need to get rid of it. Or you have a negative feeling, you need to lock it up. You want to go de de deliberately to this. The whole society is doing that. Anything's wrong, lock it up. Separate ourselves. Build a, build a, what do they call that? A parapet. You know what I mean? Do, you know, do that kind of, you know, try to protect, shield. And it's not that there isn't, aren't areas where we could do that, but it, it has to be looked at with our, with our awareness. Not thought about a little bit, but once we get into para, paranoia up here, then that starts to, all the objectivity starts to become, what is it, what is it, the thing that's usually said, weaponized. People are using that these days. They just, I think they're, they're weaponizing marshmallows. That's terrible. Why are you laughing? I have this image of a, one of those guns with the marshmallows oh, coming out. Yeah. I thought spikes coming out of them. <laughs> Want a marshmallow? <laughs> no, we won't do that. Further questions? Mm hmm. And the verse says, right there within the cage of your afflictions. Uh, right there, right here, right now. Any negativity you're feeling right now is not separate from Buddha nature. 
but it's it's tumbling around. It's 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 uh, it's masquerading as someone. And so you, you just need to look at that mask. Look at it. Look at nothing lasts. Use the the three uh, marks of existence: impermanence, no self, and suffering. Use the suffering to look at the impermanence and see the mask and see that it is a mask. It's 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 something that when you look at it completely, it's just as Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, it's just something with holes in it. You have to actually look at it so much that it, just a way of saying it, it depersonalizes. And it's interesting when something depersonalizes, either whether it's you or anything else, everything becomes extremely clear. Its individuality becomes extremely clear. All the colors are sharply red and blue and pink and orange. And the, the relative truth is, is so incredibly intense because it is not separate from uh, Dharmadhatu, in praise of Dharmadhatu, which is the realm of truth. Does depersonalization feel like not taking things personally? Oh, that's the... No, it feels like... Be, about going right into the area where you take it really personally and don't move away from it. Don't try to stop it. Do not lecture yourself. I shouldn't take that personally. That's circular. Because you can't turn it off. You cannot control it. There's an assumption that if you can just convince yourself that of things, then somehow uh, you have some kind of control. You do not have control. There isn't anyone. There is control, but there's no one to do that. And so there's some kind of imputation that manifests, temporarily comes together as a me feeling that is having success with controlling or shutting down, or is uh, losing, or is a fool. So when I say, um, I refer to myself as a fool, I'm just saying that that's, I'm not sitting here feeling like I'm a fool, but, but in, a, in, in another kind of way, I had to go through some kind of situation where, where, the, where the, the self-importance became ridiculous. I'm so important that uh, someone shouldn't, that, that I'm going to somehow get up here and make a fool of myself. I, I'm already a fool. I mean, I'm already open to that possibility because it happens all the time. It happened yesterday in our class. Could you read the second verse again? Yes, I can. Thank you. <clears throat> Number 89, out of 101, samsara's tendencies are ponderable. Ponderable. Freedom from tendencies is not. You are completely inconceivable. Who could ever have the power to know you? It's just a negative way of, of trying to point to something that who you are is, you can't look at that, you can't find that. But you can see... Hmm? Probably, there isn't anyone. So when we say you, you know, even even, uh, uh, Socrates said, "Know thyself." You know, so, in, in this tradition, if you if you know what this is, and you know that it is empty of a self, it's empty of any separate being. But then the ultimate situation uh, is not empty of what it is, which is uh, in this tradition we would call Buddha nature, or Third turning teachings of it's uh, some some uh, um, schools of Buddhism would accuse the Yogacarans of 
going back into some kind of, uh, of uh, theism or something because they because they're of uh, the the idea that there is some kind of uh, transcendent reality. Joseph? What does it mean by tendencies? In this one? <laughs> the sam samsara's tendencies of grasping at this, or rejecting that, or going to war with this, or accepting, rejecting, adding, judging, evaluating, praising, even praise of Dharmadhatu has got its problems. Uh, samsara's tendencies are ponderable. You can see the way you get upset. You can see the way you start to feel like a, like you've lost something. You can see if somebody comes up and uh, doesn't treat you so well or, or triggers some kind of emotion with you because they don't pour emotions into you. It's your feeling, this whole feeling matrix is uh, because of the separation of the physical forms and the six sense fields, including the mind. Uh, there's a there's a discrete quality. I mean, we're actually here. It's unlikely that that if you, uh, although not impossible, that if you cr commit a crime, that someone else will get arrested. Although if that occurred, then we jump right on that and think something is wrong. And there is something wrong, but it's much deeper than just that in incorrect uh, uh, activity. So it says, uh, freedom from tendencies. Samsara's tendencies to grasp, reject, or shut down are ponderable. You can contemplate that. And freedom from the tendency to do that is not something you can, uh, you can ponder. So you can't ponder uh, enlightenment, or you can't ponder uh, no self, no other. You can't ponder realization that nothing is separate from anything else. I want a question from you next. I get to pick on her. She's a monk. Further on that? Go ahead. I don't have one yet. What should I ask? That's a pretty good question. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Ask a really good question about the fundamental nature of whatever this is. Who is it that sees the mask? Pardon me? Who is it that sees the mask? The mask sees it. Not separate. Everything sees it. There isn't anything that doesn't see it. If it's seen, Is that why we look at the wall to ponder those ten the samsaric tendencies? Yes, exactly. We sit down. We don't sit down and look at the wall to feel better. Although some people have a misunderstanding of mindfulness practice, it's about soothing and peace, uh, bringing peace and tranquility. And I'm not saying that's not a kind of a side effect of it, but it's not going to deal with fundamental karma that is buried deep in your bones. That that's going to take some work, more than likely. It's not that you couldn't meditate and feel, oh, this is. I used to be worried, but whew, this is great. Finally, I can I meditate, you know, an hour every day. I feel really good. Feel much better. If you feel really good when you meditate, then uh, come and see me, or or continue to do that. That's not that's not wrong. I'm not saying everybody should be in here listening to this old man, but the people who are here, I'm going to talk to you. Go ahead. You have a question. Did you raise her hand? <laughs> okay. Since I get confused. Um, from Magpie, she has a multiple, multifaceted question. Sounds like a Magpie. There's several questions. Uh, she says, weaponized food. 
Yes. How are we able to tell the difference between our own feelings that arise and feelings or emotions of others? And should we just observe no matter what or where those emotions come from? In what way are we able to do so? They're always yours. Always your feelings. What was it the next part of the question? Um, should we just observe no matter what or where those emotions come from? In, in what way are we able to do so? <clears throat> You're probably not able to do so unless you've practiced and trained your mind to hold still and do it on the, on the, uh, uh, you know, eighth grade science table. You need to sit down and hold still and practice seeing clearly. Practice watching the thoughts and emotions arise and seeing them and practice not particularly adding. You're probably going to have to practice by seeing you have a knee-jerk or impulsive way of adding on to everything that happens in the, in the mind stream. But so you practice. Those who, of you in this room who have spent years and years practicing, especially the ones who have practiced for many, many hours a day, uh, have an idea about that. But it takes time. I practiced uh, easily 30 plus years before I was able to even presume to sit in front of, in front of people to talk about this. So, as far as magpie, sit, meditate, come here and sit. This building is totally dedicated to people coming in, sitting down, holding still, and finding out who they are. That's a slow process. It takes a long time. I'm not saying there aren't people who, because of their karma, causes and conditions, couldn't uh, couldn't awaken without meditation. That does happen, but when, when people do crack through that, and uh, usually it's quite difficult for them because they have no basis for understanding what this is, and it can be frightening to ha have uh, ego and no ego at the same time. If you, uh, uh, Ramana Maharshi, when he was, what, 18 or so, went into retreat for a, uh, 20 years after his realization on the, li on the living room of his parents' house, I think it was. And uh, the wild and crazy uh, teacher, uh, Yuji, Yuji Krishnamurti, uh, he refers to his awakening as not as uh, um, the bright spot in my life, but as the, as the calamity. Because he was, was like his, the whole world as he knew it just completely cracked and came apart. And he's quite grouchy, if you ever, he's passed away now, but if you saw a video of him, he's a very cranky guy. But people love to go and ask him questions and watch him get upset with them. <laughs> Same thing with Nisargadatta Maharaj, also someone who teaches uh, by throwing fits. Or, not always, but sometimes. So you can't really teach if, you're, if you've bought into some kind of God realm idea about your realization and suddenly you're, you're beyond passion, aggression, and ignorance. Uh, you aren't beyond it. It's just no longer a cage. Why is it no longer a cage? There isn't anyone. So it's still there. It's still operating. At some time you may feel caged. Sometime you may not feel caged. It comes and goes, and you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, and the verse says something about you can't contemplate being outside of the cage. Mm -hmm. So how, how can you see that? You can't. 
And he just said, Don't you believe the guy can? It's just a way of talking about it to, because people tend to want to look for that. We can see the difficulty, we can see the passion, aggression, ignorance, uh, and so on. We can see that, we can contemplate that, we can look at that. But then when we, when, if that stops being a cage, if the cage just stops trapping anything, we're not saying the passion, aggression, and ignorance might not still be there in some way, but there's no individual that is, is trapped. Other mic. Is it this desire to find relief from our pain that he's talking about in that verse? Probably. It's a desire to find relief. We're all kind of trying to find some relief somehow in the way of work. Go ahead. Go ahead. How do you go beyond that desire? Look at it. See if there's anyone who desires anything. It's the identity that is, re- is second. Uh, the identity, you have the desire, then the identity seconds the motion by saying, yeah, that's the way I feel. Well, the way I feel about that is, you know, it's like when somebody, uh, when somebody uh, like Adrian asked me, what are your thoughts? It's not that I don't think, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't function like that. Because everything just, there's nothing there when he says that. Thoughts. Yes. For that example, how do we turn from the desire to the one that's having it? You don't need to. There isn't anyone. All you have to do is look at the desire. And the imputation of something will start to show through, bleed through. It'll become transparent. The very thoughts, the very emotion situation starts to become It's just a metaphor. It might not become transparent. It might turn into uh, jelly beans. But it does something that, that where it starts to lose its uh, its uh, credibility. Sometimes, uh, what is the fancy way of saying ontological status? It no longer has a it has some kind of believability as something. That's why it's called a spiritual path. We're going to transcend everything that's here, everything that's not here. Plus and minus, transcend. And if there were a better word, then we'd use it. We could we could call it. Uh, I don't know. Give me a synonym for transcend. Rebirth. No. Three bucks and unicorns. Three bucks. Rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> Rainbows and unicorns. There was another question. If there's no one behind the desire, then what fuels the desire? It's just the nature of uh, dependent. It's just a dependent origination that, that is is showing up as the thought patterns, the ideas, the uh, the, the particular functioning as a as a biological organism. You know, in this uh, space, there just because there's so many things going on uh, that one aspect of the consciousness seems to contract into somebody. And it, it, it may have, and this is just speculation, and I'm not really too much interested in that, may have to do with if there's, a hum, if there's a physical form and there are other physical forms trying to eat that physical form, then it might come out of uh, trying to protect the consciousness, the, the container of the consciousness. So like a, um, like a frog running from a snake. 
And so the frog doesn't turn around and say, let's be friends. And the snake says, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> so uh, there, there's no, that, that, that's, that's going right to the actual issue is there. There isn't anyone. If I, I'm sitting here and I hear this voice happening from here, but if I, if I look back, I don't see anything. I don't see a, a person. But this doesn't mean I don't have emotions or feelings or, or hopes and fears or anything kind of thing might come and go. They don't have much uh, longevity, but they do come and go, and they come sometimes intensely. Yes? When you say that you, if you look back, you don't see anybody, what, what does it mean to even look back in that way? Well, uh, say, uh, say the personal pronoun I, and then where does that come from? But now say me. Me. Where does that come from? Why do you use it? Don't you have a okay. Close your eyes. Okay, I'm going to count to three. Everybody leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'll count to three, and I'm going to say now. I'm going to count to three, and then when I do that, when I hit three, you're going to actually see the me or the I, but you can't laugh. <laughs> one, two, two and a half, sorry, three. What do you see? I can't listen to what you're saying. <laughs> I rest my case. No self. No self. There is no self. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that some part of you is going to disappear. It might become even stronger. It's just that it's not at war with anything anymore. You know, if you, if, you've, if you make friends with this, or I should say this, or I should say this, you can't have enemies because you're not, you're fundamentally, the very, very torture we do deep, deep inside is about the separation we feel on the outside. So make friends here, the outside warfare. I'm not saying you're not going to, you know, flip somebody off or something. It might happen. Unlikely. Because you're going to see more clearly the causes and conditions that are arising as anybody's given situation that you happen to be a little uh, grain of sand. You're just a part of the whole thing, uh, your physical form, your spiritual form, your psychological form. <clears throat> Michael? Are these desires or these adding, are they really just habits? Quite a bit of that. This is even called... Uh, the, the vasanas that come out of the so-called, come out of the uh, storage consciousness, the alaya vijnana, are called uh, habit energy. They're just habitual patterns. The, the alaya vijnana is not a place. It's not a thing. It's a way we talk about what the consciousness does when it seems to hang on to stuff or store stuff. And it is said, and I, I can't particularly say this is true or not, but it is said that if one is realized, then that whole area just disappears. There is no more storehouse of anything, otherwise known as, is that other word for it? Freedom. Oh, there's another one. Bad memory. <laughs> yes. You just rub your nose. Oh, put your glasses up. Okay. Yesterday you said something along the lines of how you're permanently haunted. Mm -hmm. um, so if the alia sort of just defabricates or disappears, what is that haunting? It's unreal. So it may continue, it may not. You're not concerned. You're not really concerned about... It's not that you're not... If, uh, 
you have a negative feeling or a positive feeling or what it's not that that doesn't show up and you don't have that emotion or that feeling it's just that you're not concerned about something else about wanting more of something wanting less of something or wanting control of something it's just uh there's the, the, all, all the reference points for the uh, that are the old-fashioned things that happened when you were self-centered are uh, don't don't particularly carry any weight and that can function in such a way that your your emotions are even more powerful because before then you were kind of holding them down out of fear but now you're not not particularly afraid because you realize nothing is threatened so you're willing to feel you're willing to feel what this is you're, you're willing to have thoughts no matter what they are They're, they might be paranoid thoughts they might be there might be useless chatter about it almost anything Andrew. Why is seeing that someone is triggering emotion and that it's our own negativity fishing? Again, please. Yesterday I was describing some difficulty to you and you asked if I saw someone triggering me or if it was my own negativity mm -hmm. that I saw. I said both and you seemed to indicate that that was fishy. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why that is. I don't know. I said it was fishy. You sniffed the air. There you go. Like that. It was more like a cat than a fish. It's a cat smelling a fish. So, I'm trying to go back into the dynamic that was there, and that's not showing up. So it must be something that something else was happening there. Maybe it was the content of what was happening that particular situation, rather than those one of those two things is always going to be fishy. So I'm saying that those could come up together, apart. They might be together. They might be have 75 percent of this one time, and another time it's 150 percent or some of those. But something about that specific situation, I think it might have had something to do with the content of it, the people involved. Uh, could have been that. That might have been where I was. Uh, it's difficult for me to go back and uh, some other thing. But uh, you could you could ask something similar or ask the same question. If you wish. Can we acknowledge both that the relative situation is someone triggering us, but that it's our emotions being yes. triggered? Yes. Because that's not fishy. It can be both and neither, and it can be, it, you can acknowledge it, and as soon as you acknowledge it, it you'll show up the way uh, uh, more, uh, uh, if you don't fight with anything and you just, uh, just receive it, then it, it starts to show up more perhaps the way the relative structure actually is because you don't have anything particularly invested in it. So you're actually willing to experience your own craziness or your own kind of grasping at some kind of wanting to be right or or wanting to justify an emotion because somebody did something. So I wouldn't have felt that if somebody hadn't have done something. That's the area where it gets kind of corny, uh, screwy, or whatever you want to say. And that comes from not don't don't necessarily go to war with any of those things. Those things are just relative truths showing up in a personalized way. If you want to work on it, the way to work on it is find out who it, who's experiencing it. Find out if there's a being that is having that feeling. I don't know if there's, if there's an, an Andrew, a fundamental Andrew, that can, can ever be harmed by anything. 
I'm not saying your body isn't going to go down. Of course it is. But who you fundamentally are is, is, is not separate from the body and is also not identical with the body. More? One final question. Michael. I don't know what triggered this, but what you just said, is that how those monks during Vietnam could go into a square and light themselves a fire? Oh, I, I, I don't have any idea. No. Just, just extreme suffering. It's hard to say. We could, we could do a lot of imputation there about this and that, and that must have thought this and that, but it's, it's so tangled up in the causes and conditions for those individual monks that, that did that. I mean, you, we, we imagine that they're doing it out of protest of the Vietnam War or something like that, but it's really hard to say what was really going on there. I mean, really, fundamentally. It just was a terrible sight. I remember seeing that in the late 60s, I think it was, 1968. Not good. Very good. Thank you so much. and dedicate the merit in the back of our yellow champa. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. As always, we depend and appreciate your financial help. Also, like to remind everybody, this coming Saturday is our all day. And uh, please join us if you can. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and show them.